0: is here to say what made the list top man aqua lads and aqua lasses welcome back into the aqua cave for the latest edition of top man you should all prepare yourself for some list based entertainment so this week's topic was one that i wasn't sure i wanted to go with because I was kind of like, eh, well, I mean, I feel like this topic's maybe just a few weeks too late since we've already had, well, in terms of Comic-Con, we've already had Comic-Con happen, D23, all the sort of big movie announcements for comics-related entertainment have taken place, and we pretty much know what's on the horizons. However, due to yesterday's surprise announcement that Hugh Jackman will be returning as Wolverine, I've learned two, for Deadpool 3, I might add, I've learned two things. One, money can buy anything. And two, uh, it might not be a bad topic after all, so let's go with it. It is the top, however many, we'll get there, most wanted, well, let's just put it this way, it's the most wanted MCU slash DCEU characters on the big screen. Now, what the fuck does that mean for those who are acronymly challenged? Well, The Marvel Cinematic Universe and the DC Extended Universe are the cinematic equivalents to the comic book counterparts. Everybody knows what the MCU is. I don't think that needs further explaining. The DCEU, well, I mean, I don't think any of us really know what the full score is on that front. But uh, I'm considering anything that's come out since Man of Steel, I guess, a part of that. And Lord knows what they're going to do to change continuity. And that's not really what this is about, okay? I guess, let's just put it this way. Superheroes I want to see in fucking movies. Hey! I like that much simpler, but I can't put that in the show title or else I get flagged. So, it's going to be two lists. Uh, the Marvel list is not as long as the DC list. It's gonna be the top five MCU most wanted characters and top ten DCU most wanted or EU most wanted characters. Yes, I'm a DC mark, but let's not kid ourselves. Marvel is so far ahead of this game. Like I don't even know who's left. I mean, I'd like to see Stilt Man because I think that'd be cool effects, but it'd probably look like shit because they wouldn't do anything practical. But that's a side of the fact. But I, I don't really know who's left. So the MCU list is a little bit of a cheat. Well, we'll get there. And we'll probably start with that one, too, because it's shorter. And why not? Let's do it. Top five most wanted MCU characters. Number five. And it's a a cheat right from the get-go because the character's already there. But I want to see much, much more of them. And that is Swordsman, who's already appeared in the Hawkeye television series. Jack Duquesne, is that his name? Uh, you know, Swordsman was originally like a circus performer that trained Hawkeye how to use hand-to-hand weaponry uh, back in the day in early Marvel Comics. And then, of course, joined the Avengers with Hawkeye later in the day. Sometimes he's a supervillain. I-, I absolutely love the version of Swordsman that appears in the MCU fighting alongside Kite Bishop and Hawkeye in the Hawkeye TV show. I mean, the guys perform... I- Marvel, I was going to say, the guy's performance is hilarious, but it's like, well, it's Marvel, so is it really funny? Marvel has really, really, really had a problem with the he's the funny guy situation, okay? If you get a room full of characters, one should always be the funny one. You know, funny guy, funny girl, doesn't matter who it is, but, but somebody should be the funny one. Well, as Roddy Piper would say, the problem with Marvel is when everybody gets in a room, everybody thinks... They're the funny one, and the writers write him that way. But Swordsman is kind of oblivious to how funny he actually is, and that's why I really like it. He is just a a rich, privileged guy who's really good with a sword, but, you know, he's self-serving in his interest, but not in a way that's bad. It's like he's self-serving in the fact that he's willing to spend a lot of money to get a sword he really likes, but he's not a bad guy. He's super nice. He wants to have a relationship with Kate Bishop because he thinks he might be her stepdad, but her mom was bad all along. Oh, I should probably mention spoilers across the fucking gamut for anything related to comic books. I'm sorry. I I just don't know how to get around it. But I would love to see Swordsman come back, and he could be the funny guy, but because the character is sort of aloof, I I feel like that's a little bit different than someone being, like, Ant-Man's kind of aloof, but he's still kind of smart. I don't know, I'd like to see Swordsman if for nothing else. You know, I can die, and at my funeral you could be like, well, Johnny C was kind of lame, but uh, he lived a life that included seeing Swordsman in an Avengers movie in theaters, which is something I never thought would happen, so there you go. Number four. This is not really a cheat because I want to see all of them, okay? Uh, But growing up in the 90s, Obviously, the X-Men animated series on Fox, previously, all on X-Men, had a big effect on me and got me into these types of characters in a big way. I don't know. I kind of feel like I've learned retroactively he was everybody's favorite, but he was my favorite. That is the thief known as Gambit, or Remy, Remy LeBeau, if you want to get serious about it. I mean, Gambit has the mutant ability... To take all the potential energy that rests in his body and turn it into kinetic energy and share it with objects that he touches. Now, it could be an eight ball from a pool set. It could be an ace of spades, as the Sentinels say. And it often is his weapon of choice. The dude throws cards like he's goddamn David Letterman. Although I think there was something written about how when it's charged kinetically, it's like heavy and you can throw it like any other object. I don't really know if that's the case. It's comic books, who cares? Um, Gambit also, legendarily, in that cartoon, I just want to point out, took out a Sentinel using what I call the 52 pickup, where he just jumped on the Sentinel's chest and shot an entire deck of cards. Like, I mean... I don't really know how to explain it. Like, one at a time, and they just kind of flew out of the deck. It was fucking awesome. I don't really care. Uh, But I'd love to see Gambit on the big screen. I know we did in that X-Men Origins Wolverine movie, but let's pretend that didn't happen. I mean, that's what Deadpool did, after all. I mean, I really want to see Gambit. I want to see Gambit in the MCU where they're not afraid to have him wear the pink body armor with the trench coat and have the bow staff and just throw cards like it's nobody's business and have it look cool. Just fucking go into it do the hair do everything I want to see the real gambit number three probably a surprise to no one because uh I think most of us love the spider-verse animated films over uh and so on sony pictures but can we please just fucking get the ultimate spider-man into the mcu already that's the next wrinkle you need to add to this Peter Parker character in the MCU. You've actually done a decent job of setting up a trilogy that takes him from this a crazy MCU version of Spider-Man to a more traditional comic-based version. Why not jump ahead a little bit? Let's not see Spider-Man. And maybe we see him. And he's, I don't know, what is Tom Holland? like? He graduated high school in the movies. Let's get to like 24, 25. You know, that sort of age where you're old enough to be like a sexy bartender. okay? And let's have him teach a young Miles Morales the ropes. I mean, it's time, right? Spider-Man is such a popular brand. And I think, honestly, for good reason. I think the Spider-Man character speaks to a lot of people for different ways. And I appreciate that. It's sort of like the modern... Equivalent of what I imagine Superman was back when Superman the motion picture came, or Superman the movie came out. Like Spider-Man, for some reason, just speaks to people in a way that makes it's he's like a hopeful superhero. Let's get the ultimate Spider-Man out here. That's Miles Morales, of course. Uh, no need to dive into much more on that one. It just seems like an it seems like a no-brainer. Plus, if you want to be corporate about it you're gonna sell double the spider-man merch because now you can sell the spider-man you can i mean you already sell the ultimate spider-man but you get what i'm saying you put it in the mcu it makes a big difference number two also a cheat because he's already there but fuck it it is time to redeem howard the duck and i'm dead serious on this one i kind of love that 80s howard the duck movie i grew up watching it on hbo yeah it's not good but it is fun. It's decent enough. You can have a good time with it. But I really think now you have so many platforms available to you. And you can take risks. Do a Howard the Duck movie. Do it cheap. You know, spend $60 million on it. $70 million. I don't care. Alright? Get some decent animators to do Howard the Duck. And, and tell a story about... I mean, look. The Howard the Duck comics... I'm not trying to stand on some sort of hill of superiority... Because I don't think this does... But I'm going to sit here and say... Look, I've read the Gerber run... I've read the original entire run of the Howard the Duck comics many times... It is a lot of political commentary on the times. Okay? It's done in a humorous way... And I think it's... you, You can kind of pull that off now. The problem was in the 80s and 90s... Before the MCU or comic book movies penetrated our culture... You sort of had... One op, each indep- each comic film that was released was an opportunity to succeed or fail. Marvel isn't really playing that game anymore, and I, as much as I hate to say, it's a guaranteed thing. It's sort of a guaranteed thing. If you do it cheap enough, you also show that you also guarantee that your profit margin is going to be taken care of as well. Do something small. Howard the Duck, man. We know he's on Earth now after Avengers Endgame. Fuck it. Let's go to Cleveland. You already shot a bunch of Avengers stuff in Cleveland anyway. Let's go to Cleveland. Put him there. Let's get a modern Beverly. And let's uh, have Howard the Duck with the problems of being an illegal immigrant to this uh, country or planet. Because he is a duck, after all. He is a master of quack foo. That wasn't just some bullshit they made up in the 80s movie. It's a thing. So, I don't know. I just think it's time. And And you know what? I'm not married to Seth Green doing the voice either. Okay? He, I think he's fine, but I think we need to make Howard the Duck a little bit more three-dimensional. You know, no, he can drink some martinis and say goofy things, sure. But let's let's flesh it out. Let's give it a shot. Maybe punch up the design a little bit, okay? But I think it's time to redeem Howard the Duck. And I know this is supposed to be on the big screen, but if nothing else, if nothing else, can we we could get him a Disney Plus show, right? I mean, those things are a dime a dozen now. Let's do it. Number one, maybe a bit of a cheat, but guys, we're running thin on Marvel characters. We all know the Fantastic Four is coming. However, I want to see for my number one pick the Jonathan Hickman version of Reed Richards. Now, what the fuck does that mean to layman people? All right, I'll explain it. Jonathan Hickman's a great writer, period, in comics. Uh, You're actually about to be exposed to a lot of his uh, bigger ideas in the Secret Wars Avengers film. I'm imagining because he's sort of responsible for creating the incursion concept that was mentioned briefly in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Just read Hickman's Avengers run. It's available and easily to, easy to purchase digital format, uh, in order collected in trade paperbacks. Just purchase the Jonathan Hickman collection of Avengers. You get the actual Illuminati. You get the War Against Darks or Dark Side. Wow, Thanos. <laughs> Sorry, Marvel. Uh, it's just great. I highly, highly recommend it but this version of Reed Richards is a problem solver. He is so intelligent. His mind is constantly working at problems and problem solving. The man is almost an abstract human being. It's almost impossible to communicate with him in an effective way. You're never getting his full attention. It comes across as arrogant, dickish, inhumane, but it's not done in a way that's inhumane the characters around him like he might take five minutes to have a conversation with the thing or invisible woman or someone okay and you you have his full attention and he's talking to you like a human being okay okay but at the end of that conversation, it's almost sort of like, all right Ben, uh, I you know, I've been running a clock in my head the entire time this conversation. That's five minutes. That's all I could spare. I'll speak to you again, you know, at some point when I can. And, and then boom, he's off to fucking solve the problems of the multiverse, work in his lab. It's just it's so interesting. Because the people that surround him are okay with this. They understand this. They sort of they see it as not a character defect, but just the way that he sort of is. It's the way that it has to be. When you are as intelligent as Reed Richards and you can solve as many problems as you can and make the world a better place, you have to sacrifice. And this Hickman version of Reed is making sacrifices, sometimes to the detriment of his family. It's just so much more interesting than having Reed Richards be like a smart scientist guy. It's just because you can be too simple about it. I feel like the Hickman version almost treats his intelligence as as a mental disease in a way that makes him unable to interact with others socially or with individuals in a way that is human to human. It's fascinating to me. I might be reading too much into it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Or if you've read Hickman stuff and you don't interpret it that way, that's fine. Actually, I think that's the best part of reading something. You interpret it differently. Or watching something. It doesn't matter. Listening to something. You interpret it differently. But I really, really think that this Hickman version of Reed is fantastic. See what I did there? But I also think it's the right direction to go to because... Previous incarnations of Mr. Fantastic on the big screen have shown that if you if you don't go big enough, the character feels very bland. His power set is a little bland. Eh, you know, it is what it is. That's why I think you've got to really up the ante on the character work. You know, I've always wanted an older George Clooney with the beard to play Reed Richards. That sort of stoic... I'm talking behind you, not to you. I just, I can't really explain it any further. But that's going to finish the Marvel portion of the list. I knew it would probably be quick. I apologize for that if Marvel's your bag. But I'm going to now jump into the top 10 DCEU most wanted characters. And you know what's fun? Is that none of these characters have actually appeared in any of the films of the recent decade or since the Snyder era happened. So they'll all be new to Marvel fans. I apologize, but... I'm not I mean hey I'd love to see Hulkling, sure, but I'm not like stoked for it. Uh, you know, it is what it is. I don't think it's Hulkling. He's just the first person that popped into my head because there's all these Hulk rumors going around. So, I don't know. We'll see what they can come up with in the future and surprise me over in the House of Ideas, but let's head over to the Warner Brothers Tower and see what they've got for us. I am going to cop to the fact on the DC portion of this list that a a lot of the lower numbers are greatly influenced by what I've been reading lately in my personal life. You know, with Black Adam gracing the silver screen soon, I've actually gotten a little bit more excited for it than I have been. Um, I just... I still don't dig Dwayne as Black Adam. Um, Believe me, I'm no casting director or anything like that. I just... It doesn't feel quite right. I, I I, don't know how to put my finger on it. I just feel like Black Adam... When I look at The Rock, I just see The Rock. It's a problem. Like it, It's becoming a problem, that is. And when I see Black Adam, I see all the great stories I've ever read and all the the interesting choices that, that, that the writers have made with that character. And I, just, I need to give it the benefit of the doubt and keep an open mind. And I'm really hoping that the film will offer a hand to the rest of the DCEU by explaining cohesively why the Justice Society is a thing, that Superman is very much a thing. I want to see Henry Cavill. I I just need all of that. If it gives me a movie that's like 70-80% good and ties into the DCEU and makes sense, I'm going to declare it a massive thumbs up. But I've been reading a lot of Justice Society in preparation for Black Adam. That in 52. So I'm going to sort of go... You know, I want to preface it. There's a lot of... There's a couple of JSA entries here early. So number 10, just to fucking get into it, is our man, Rick Tyler. Now, if you're not familiar with our man, I think that he appeared in one of the CW shows. I'm sure they've pulled everyone out of the weeds there. But I'm interested in the Rick Tyler version, which I believe is Our Man 2. But just to simplify things for everybody, okay, it, it, just think of Our Man as Our Man. So Our Man has a unique power set. Rick Tyler is able to take a proprietary medication called Miraclo. I believe that's how it's pronounced. It's like Miracle with C-L-O on the end, so Miraclo. And this drug, and that's one of the aspects I like about this, is that when Rick takes the pill for exactly one hour, hence the name Our Man, He is granted super strength and to a lesser extent, like, super dexterity. He gets a little faster. In some variants, I think he can even, like, breathe underwater and what have you. And then, of course, uh, you know, there are other distribution models as the character progresses. But what I really like about this is, number one... I find the prospect very interesting because I feel like you can tell some fun stories and do some nice things with the Our Man character when he is not, because he's not a superpowered individual all the time, he also has to make a hard choice. In some versions of the character, you can only take one pill per day, otherwise you risk drastic danger to your own body. So if he makes the wrong choice, you know, he picks to take the medicine because a big supervillain attack just happened in downtown. And then that night he's, I don't know, walking down the streets and some person's, you know, falls out of a window. You know, can he catch, you know, like that. That's like, oh my God, I already took my pill, you know, et cetera. Et cetera. I'm not trying to sound like a person who's desperately trying to get uh, laid multiple times in a day like, ah, d- damn you woman, I've already taken my pill. I can't take another one today which obviously I'm sure the Viagra comparisons are going to happen, which is maybe why it's a little bit more difficult to get our man off the, you know, off the docket here and actually make it happen. But I love the idea, too, of our man having to deal with the addiction to Miraclo. Is it a physical dependency? Is it an addiction to being a hero? What is it that makes a person want to do that i find it fascinating and i think with the right writers our man is a solid inclusion in anything the i think the biggest problem with our man and what kind of makes him lower on the list is that because i can also absolutely understand the viewpoint that he's not flashy enough he's not enough to sell a film that he may need to be included as like one of many characters in a supporting role like in a justice society ensemble so I get that Our Man is a hard sell. Could you watch a two-and-a-half-hour Hourman Man film? There's some sort of joke there that's better. I don't know, but I would like to give it a shot. And, you know, I'm going to refer to the CW stink here when it comes to some characters. I, I don't know how he looks in the CW show, but some characters reek of CW, and Our Man, unfortunately, having already made an appearance there, may be one of those characters. But the MCU has shown, with good I was going to say with good writing, but maybe with charismatic performances and somewhat of a tangential connection to bigger properties, even smaller characters can work on the big screen. So, damn it, why don't we give Our Man a few hours of our time? You can't see me, but I have a shit-eating grin because of the great like capper I put on the Our Man discussion. Let me just grin a little more. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, there's my shit-eating grin. All right, let's move on to number nine. Number nine is The Green Lantern. Well, Johnny, y- you know The Green Lantern had a movie, right? Yes, but I'm talking about Alan Scott, the first Green Lantern, who has nothing to do with the Green Lantern core. So this one's a little problematic because, number one, it's going to confuse your core o- Well, not your core audience, but it's going to confuse your person on the street audience because in the 40s a member of the Justice Society Alan Scott was known as the Green Lantern the original Green Lantern his powers were a bit more magical based sort of a genie in a bottle if you will Uh, I believe the the meteor there's a meteor that falls to the earth and it's over time shaped into various forms and eventually becomes a lantern that powers the green lantern's ring. and Alan Scott can make magical things appear from his ring. He has the power of the green flame. and it's also vulnerable to wood. So if there are any super villains out there that have wood based items, uh oh, you better call somebody else. Now, all that sounds cheesy and it is. So here's what I like about Alan Scott. If you would choose to take him out of the 40s, that's fine. Man out of time works. But there is a more modern interpretation of Alan Scott that took place in the Earth 2 line of comics, which was Earth 2, like Earth 1, but Earth 2, where Alan Scott's power of the green flame comes from the green which is one of the elemental forces in the DC universe. So there was a big sort of reaction when the Green Lantern Corps hit it big with all their different colored cores, like the Red Lanterns, Orange Lanterns, Blue Lanterns, etc., to sort of retcon or find a way to make characters' mythology seem greater independently of the DC universe. And... They invented the elemental forces, the green, the white, the red, which is like the, the red is the elemental force that powers all living things. The green powers the earth, the white powers, I think, the sky, like, you know, etc., cetera, et cetera. And uh, there is also like they did this with Green Arrow. They made the weapons clans where Green Lan- Arrow was the leader of the Arrow clan and they fought the sword clan, the axe clan, uh, the the fighting clan, like everybody, sort of had like a their own universe to occupy within the greater DC universe. And this version of Alan Scott was really cool because his power set rivaled the top tier heroes on Earth too, and uh, he was kind of a badass. Now, one of the other retcons about the Alan Scott character that I really enjoy is he's the first openly gay superhero in the DC universe, which I kind of like now. If you do the man out of time, it's sort of like not only am I out of time, but now I no longer have to. I'm doing the finger quotes thing on have to. Have to live a lie because you shouldn't have to live a lie, but a lot of people, and still do, feel they have to leave, leave, live a lie. It's unfortunate and sad, and I my heart goes out. Uh, it's bullshit. You don't have to live a lie. Be yourself. But my point is, is that you can tell a fantastic story about, think Captain America suddenly getting to live in the modern time, but now you can sort of be the person you want to be but you have to understand that that's still a choice that's going to have ramifications for you know which is unfortunate but you know you can also be a beacon of hope kind of like Superman DC gets a lot of shit for their characters not being hopeful and wow that's one of the things I love about DC you can lean into that And you can tell a really interesting, unique story amongst superhero stories. Because they're a dime a fucking dozen, folks. They're a dime a dozen now. So do something that makes you stand out from the crowd. And let's let's make a little green with an Alan Scott Green Lantern film. Shit-eating grin returned. Let's move on, though, to number eight. It's a terrific choice. It's Mr. Terrific. Now, Mr. Terrific, I understand, has appeared on some other programs as well on the CW, but this this version would be much more theatrical, if you will. Now, one of the things I love about uh, Mr. Terrific is that his big claim to fame is that he's the third smartest person in the DC multiverse, like out of everything, and I, I think that's a fantastic gimmick. I've seen. The first two identified as Lex Luthor and Bruce Wayne. I don't know who's really flopping back and forth here, but it's interesting because, uh, like, Bruce is obviously like the world's greatest detective. Lex Luthor obviously is a brilliant mind and scientist and business person, and it's kind of like, you know, Lex Luthor's mind is willing to go places that Bruce isn't, and etc. But Michael Holt, that being Mister Terrific, he's got like 14 PhDs. He is. Um, He's he's created a technology that makes him invisible to all machinery. So he can't be identified by cameras and things like that. It's, it's fascinating. And one of the things I love about Mr. Terrific is how intelligent the character is when he's written properly. One of the big things about Mr. Terrific, too, is that he is an atheist. And a lot of his origin has to do with his wife and child dying... Uh, because he got into an argument with his wife about why he didn't want to go to church with them, and then she was running late, and they get into a car accident, and she dies. And it's like, how do you struggle with the fact now, also, that you're Mr. Terrific? You are on a superhero team with people like the Green Lantern, the Spectre, who's the fucking living embodiment of the vengeance of the, the, the Lord, if you will. But yet, you don't believe fundamentally in the religion that, you know, sort of dominates your wife's, what was your wife's like it's just, it's fascinating I, I'm, I'm, I might be short changing it in my ability to explain it but I think there is a lot of concrete, awesome character study there for a movie that when you also have bombastic action just is like the perfect combination of entertainment. Now Michael also has the T-spheres which are three like sphere little droids, you know they don't have faces. They just have T's on them. But they sort of surround him and hover around him all the time. And like I said, he's invisible to technology. And these T-spheres can do all sorts of things. So there's a lot of flash here. There's a lot of cool things that you can do. I would not want to see him regulated to a Tony Stark type character. There is a version of Mr. Terrific uh, in called like Future's End where he does become sort of like a... Uh, tech mogul, sort of like a Steve Jobs type, and it's all about like, oh, I just want to be the richest guy, The I want to have control and influence people through power and stuff like that. Like, I want, I don't want any, I don't want to draw any comparisons to Tony Stark with this, because, you know, when you see a, uh, a wealthy, uh, genius, intellect, machine, Iron Man type guy, I mean, that's, that's the big comparison that your audiences are going to draw but Mr. Terrific brings so much more to the table as the Tony Stark character does as well that they didn't just didn't lead into because it's the MCU. And when you deal with the fact that Mr. Terrific could actually talk to a god about re- the concepts involved in religion, like it's just fascinating and I really really want to see it. But number 7, I guess I want to see just a little bit more because it's number 7, not number 8. I want to see Dr. Will Magnus and the Metal Men. And if you're not familiar with Dr. Magnus, let me explain. So, we talked sort of about we talked about how the uh, some of the characters in the DC Universe exist in this crazy uh, world where they have all their own shit going on and then, of course, they feed up into the DC Universe like with the Lantern Corps, the Weapons Clans, the Avatars of the Green, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Will Magnus is part of this awesome corner of the DC Universe of, like, 1950s and 60s, like, science super scientist, if you will. So, Will Magnus is an expert in robotics who was taught b- by Dr. T.O. Morrow. Yes, that's just tomorrow, but that's why I love it. I love the cheese... <laughs> Excuse me. I love the cheese factor there. And Dr. T.O. Morrow... ...is responsible for inventing the Red Tornado Android... ...which you may have seen on other stuff. So, if you do a Will Magnus movie... ...Will Magnus is responsible for creating the Responsimeter... ...which is the piece of technology that allows robots... ...or androids, if you will, to live... ...you know, independently and gain sentience. So, Will Magnus has a team of... ...Metalmen, Lead, Titanium, Gold, Tin, uh, Mercury uh plutonia or plutonium like plutonia I think is her name and um they they solve mysteries they fight crimes they and and they all have powers related to the metal that they represent like Mercury can get liquidy and travel fast you know gold is indestructible you know etc etc but one of the the funnest things about this science squad or this corner of the DC universe, that will magnus incorporates is they have some ludicrous villains um i'm going to refer to the one that i want to see will magnus go up against the most and and i'm going to use the phrase that is not the nicest okay but there is a dc comics supervillain who's was known as egg foo and um you know, it's not anymore. Egg Fu is now known as uh, Shang Zu, I believe it is. I, I, and I might be mispronouncing it and I apologize for doing that. Unfortunately, in the past, he looked like a giant egg with a face that sort of looked like the old Mandarin used to. It's been updated to look much more like a creature. But you get... Tio Morrow, you get Will Magnus, you get Egg Fu again, just so we all know who I am talking about. You get all the metal men. Maybe you get the Red Tornado, uh, Doctor Savannah also. Before he was more magically charged, because he's a Shazam villain, was also part of this corner. And of course, a lot of this pulls from the amazing comic known as Fifty Two. That if you haven't read, just go fucking read it. But you get, you get the ability to have sort of like a a movie that feels like a big team movie or it involves so many comic book characters and all you got to do is make a metal man movie plus much like many of the other dc characters there's a unique role that will magnus plays in the dc universe or could play in this film see one of the fun things about dr uh, will magnus is he doesn't he suffers from, is it, it's not multiple personality disorder, but uh, uh, disassociative reality or something like that. I don't mean to trivialize, I'm not trying to throw sh- uh, you know, marginalize anyone's true life experiences with this disorder, but he often loses grasps upon reality. So much to the fact that some Metal Men comic series revolve around the question of is what I'm looking at really happening? Are the Metal Men real? Are they just in Will Magnus's head? It's fascinating. But, you know, because Will Magnus has this massive intellect that he wants to share with the world. But sometimes he doesn't know if the reality that he's interpreting is actually what's happening. It's it's just so much if you get the right actor in there, you know, it's it just seems like something you could really sink your teeth into, but also have fun with. Because after all, you're leading a team of metal men. All right. You got little Tin, who's like, oh, boy, Dr. Magnus, I'm Tin. You know, it's just I don't know. It's just the right amount of kitsch with the the right filmmaker as well. A good script. I mean, I, I, I considered putting Dr. Magnus and the Metal Men higher because I knew that it's like you get this whole science squad, which is what I'm loving, they're lovingly sort of referred to in certain pockets of DC fandom. I, I thought about putting him higher, but he just doesn't have that name cachet. But talk about a character that can really just blast off. Plus, the Metal Men, there's so many of them. You can look at all the toys you can sell. Yeah, let's do that. Let's sell some fucking toys. But you know what? Complete flip side of that: if we, if selling toys leads to more characters or more complex characters, more interesting characters getting on the silver screen, let's just fucking sell some toys and do it. All right. But I think that uh, you know, if you want more information on Will Magnus, look it up. Fucking great character, great character. And that is, you know, why with limited name cachet, they're all the way up to seven. I mean, they're above, he's above Our Man, Green Lantern, and Mr. Terrific, which I would argue do have some name value. But you want to talk about name value, number six has so much name value, when I tell you who it is, it's probably going to confuse the shit out of you. Number six, Karate Kid. That's right, I said the Karate Kid, or just Karate Kid. So Karate Kid is a fun one for me, and here's where my interest in the character started. Way back in the day, when watching The Karate Kid with Ralph Macchio, I, you know, was the type of dude that would stick around for the end credits when I had a badass song that I liked, which of course The Karate Kid does. In the end of the credits, towards the very end, something always stood out to me. A special thanks to DC Comics. And I was always kind of like, what? Cut to me as an adult that enjoys comic books. DC Comics is publishing a weekly comic book called Countdown to Final Crisis. The comic series, not so good, but one of the main characters is indeed Karate Kid. So holy shit, I finally found the answer to the million dollar question that no one asked. This is why the makers of the Karate Kid thanked DC Comics because DC allowed them to use the moniker the Karate Kid. Karate Kid is indeed a DC comic book superhero. He is a member of the Legion of Superheroes. Now, in order to simplify this for everybody out there, I'm just going to give you a blanket brief Legion of Superheroes. In the 31st century, that being 3000, whatever, there is a massively large group of superheroes from across the galaxy that all are members of the Legion of Superheroes. There's lots of them okay they all have one thing in common they wear legion of superheroes rings with an l on them that'll give every one of them the ability to fly why am i going that deep because a legion flight ring is going to come into play a little bit later in the show as well so karate kid can fly that's his superpower that is it What's awesome about Karate Kid, the superhero, real name Val Armour, by the way, which is a fucking badass name, it's even cooler than Val Kilmer. Hi, I'm Val Kilmer. I like it. Hi, I'm Val Armour. Holy shit, I'm wet and ready when you are, Val. But anywho, the Karate Kid, or Karate Kid, is a living weapon, which is just a fucking badass title to have. Karate Kid is a master of every known form of martial art across The Multiverse. So he is extremely dangerous. He's a master with melee weapons as well. There has been one moment in DC Comics continuity where Karate Kid finally came face to face with the world's greatest fighter, the Batman. Here's what I don't like about that fight. The Batman was victorious. But it's only because Batman's buddy Black Lightning was also in the Batcave where the battle was taking place and electrocuted Karate Kid, so Batman would win. Plus, at that moment in time, Karate Kid was under a little bit of mind control, so he may not have been at his truest form. So you might wonder to yourself, well, Johnny, what makes Karate Kid interesting? I I just think having someone on the screen like that, that can do all sorts of crazy martial arts, is just acting to be the standout character amongst a group. If there were to be some sort of Legion of Superheroes movies, you might have certain favorites. Lightning Lad is kind of a prick, and I like that. Cosmic Man, or Cosmic Boy, depending on when they do it, might be interesting to you. Maybe you like Dream Girl. That's totally fine. But then Karate Kid shows up and just obliterates shit. For example, there's an animated Justice League movie that I've honestly only seen once. It was a long time ago. But in that film... Karate Kid gets into a fight inside a mountain and does karate moves so hard, he cracks the mountain in half and it collapses and it is glorious. But again, he has no superhuman powers, so he's not exactly invincible. But when you are a master, I mean, you know, martial arts is fascinating to me. And, you know, no jokes here. I find it fascinating. I find it interesting. Uh, You know, folks who may not look dangerous are dangerous because they are masters of martial arts. And I like the idea that Karate Kid knows every martial art in the 31st century. Because if martial arts is interesting and powerful now, imagine what it would be like in the year 3000-ish when there's so much more to be found. Not to mention this includes other planets, not just Earth. So, a pretty badass concept. I just think also... And this is kind of shameless. The Karate Kid brand, that being the like Karate Kid with Johnny and Mike Barnes, Ralph Macchio chosen. Uh, fucking, I'm forgetting someone. Oh God, Thomas Ian Griffin. Who does he play? Terry Silver. Jesus, like the Karate Kid brand is is hot right now. So why not capitalize on it? DC, you you lent out the the brand name. And they did great things with it. And you're allowed to use it too, do you see? So let's do something with Karate Kid. I think he'd beat the shit out of Shang-Chi. Now, that's a stupid comparison. Shang-Chi does have the ten rings, after all. But they are both masters of martial arts. But, I mean, honestly, I was stoked when Shang-Chi, the movie, got made because a similar thing. Jonathan Hickman, who we talked about in Marvel, did a fantastic run on Avengers that made Shang-Chi very interesting. And uh, he's one of those guys, at least in the MCU, or not in the MCU, in the Marvel comics, who doesn't have any powers um, and is still fun to watch. So, maybe not an unfair comparison. Uh, I'm not just trying to say the martial arts guys are all the same, but... Shang-Chi, extremely successful. Karate Kid, I don't know about on his own. You might get a couple of stragglers like, whoa, there's a Karate Kid movie, and then they're confused. But maybe throw in something for the casuals, and we are off to the races. Number five, right in the middle, might seem cheap, I want to see Aqualad. Now, there are a couple of different versions of Aqualad. And while I do really enjoy the modern Aqualad, uh, which is Jefferson, God, what's his last name? I can't recall it off the top of my head. I'm a shitty fan. Uh, But he's got, uh, you know, like, blonde dreads. He has aqua swords, which are badass. Uh, he has basically the same powers of Aquaman and Mera uh, without the aqua telepathy, but he has aqua kinesis because he's from Zebel. Oh boy, these are all deep poles. But I am interested in Garth, or Tempest, the first Aqualad, and here's why. Well, maybe we should just say who Aqualad is. So, you know, every DC superhero eventually sort of fell into the trap of having a sidekick. The good names were taken, so Lad got attached to Aquaman's sidekick. As opposed to Aqua Boy, Aqua Kid, or whatever. I like Aqua Lad. It stands out and it sounds cheesy, but I also like it because he's from the Kingdom of Atlantis, and Lad sort of feels like that Knights and Sorcery sort of thing, and I think there's brand synergy there. Garth, as a child, was exiled from Atlantis because he had purple eyes. Now that might sound kind of cheesy, but. Atlantis is a very stereotypical folk. They're also very fearful, and they also are fearful of what they don't understand. Hell, there's even some comics continuities where Atlantis is afraid of people with blonde hair. And it makes sense if you read the fantastic story, The Atlantis Chronicles, which is just top-tier badass shit. But Aquaman rescued Garth from exile and made him his ward. Later in Aqualad's career, he would drop the Aqualad and go by just Garth. Later, Garth would be entered into the Atlantis School of, of I was gonna say of, of, uh, of witchcraft and wizardry, but in all seriousness, Garth trained with the mystics of Atlantis. One of my favorite parts of the Aquaman mythology or the world that Aquaman gets to play in, in Atlantis is that there is an entire sect in Atlantis that can use magic, like Shazam or Detective Chimp. Or Ragman, or Blue Devil, Zatanna, uh, Clarion the Witch Boy. There's an entire corner of the DC Comics universe that's just magic based. Just like in every, you know, we all have this, okay? Marvel has it too. Obviously, they got some wizards. Dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. But I love the idea of an Aquaman with magic, and that's what Garth is. He's a badass. I don't necessarily think that, uh, and one of the reasons I'm also leaning into Garth is that the Jefferson version of Aqualad, the modern interpretation of Aqualad, is the son of Black Manta. And since in the Aquaman films, Black Manta, uh, you know, did not have, I mean, he had contact with Atlantis, but I don't necessarily think that the Black Manta in the movies would have had time to have a teenage-aged son, uh, having hooked up with someone who lives underwater. Maybe it could have happened and he just didn't realize the lady was a Zebelian or from Zebel and uh, he doesn't know he has a kid. But so you could do that. But like I said, I'm I'm a little I'm a little biased here and I'm being a little selfish because I want magic. I enjoy magic and I, I love the idea of like a massive magic battle in Atlantis with those James Wan visuals. It's already it already gives me Final Fantasy vibes. You throw in the magic and I'm coming in my seat, ladies and gentlemen. Graphic, gross, but accurate. I gotta tell you, I'm a huge fan of number four. Which I guess shouldn't be a surprise, it is my list after all. But it is Larflees, the leader and only member of the Orange Lantern Corps. Wait, what is the Orange Lantern Corps? Well, we've talked about... Characters that have a big universe all within their own, within the DC universe, you know the Green Lanterns, the Space Cops. Well, their green energy powers their ring. The green energy is created by the inhabitants of the multiverse. It's the willpower of all sentient beings harnessed by the Green Lantern Corps. And in the early 2000s, legendary writer Jeff Johns created a core that could be associated with each color of the color wheel. The Red Lanterns harness Rage. The Orange Lanterns harness the Muck of Avarice. Yellow Lanterns or the Sinestro Corps do the same with Fear. The Green Lanterns, Willpower of course. Blue Lanterns harness Hope. The Indigo Tribe, Compassion. And the Violet Lanterns or Star Sapphires harness Love. Now if those sound interesting to you, cheap plug... Go back into the archives of the North South Connection Podcast Network and check out episode 9 of the Multiverse of Fabulousness, where myself and fellow podcaster extraordinaire Jennifer Smith reviewed the list that was created back in 2011, I believe. Uh, this list by the staff writers at WWE.com, where they picked. Superstars to fill out their own versions of these lantern cores, and then Jenny and I picked our own wwe slash pro wrestling based lantern cores. It was a doozy and a lot of fun, but Larfleas was a thief that accidentally found the Orange Lantern. The lantern, of course, powered by avarice or greed, so rather than creating a multitude of power rings to share. Lar ring is charged with the power of an entire core, and he kills people and adds them to the orange lantern core. So for example, if uh he standing next to a dude named Bob and he kills Bob, Bob would then sort of become like an orange ghost made of energy that Larfleas can control and order around because whatever he who excuse me whomever he takes becomes a member of the orange lantern corps. I like that quite a bit. Now, Larflees is constantly hungry, also though constantly uncomfortable and constantly driven by the ring to desire everything he sees. Now, I will say it's very funny. Larflees is a hilarious character, but also dangerous. You know, he's a bad guy after all, but also very heartbreaking too and like I said it lends to some fun jokes but also some very interesting layered storytelling and I'm serious here probably you know this might this direct comparison might be in my head because Lord of the Rings is sort of back in vogue but it kind of reminds me of Gollum and his obsession with the ring in a way except Larfleeze's obsession is not one single object it's to have everything because again he's powered by greed and all that power goes right into his ring and sort of control. I guess he is sort of like Gollum then, after all, with the whole ring thing. Now, Larflees is an alien. Uh, He's bipedal. He's got two arms. He kind of looks like a... has like a horse face. He's got some husks and a sweet mohawk. And in my head, he sounds like the Transformer Starscream. Oh, my goodness. I've got to find some orange lanterns. Oh, what's that? I think I'll take that. What's this Taco Bell? I'd like to have a Taco Bell. And, you know. It's a jokey character sometimes, but like I said, he's got that golem shit going on too. I've just, i fucking love Larfleeze. The Orange Lanterns emerged as my favorite, and the the Lantern Corps War, the Blackest Night, is a big part of my comic fandom. And uh, I just, I got to get Larfleeze on the big screen. So fucking make it happen. Number three, oh boy. So number three is Superboy Prime. Now in order to explain this one guys, I have to explain the character obviously. But that is going to require some setup. I will try to oversimplify this shit as much as possible, okay? Superboy Prime is from a different earth out there in the multiverse than where all the other superheroes are from. Now, given that the multiverse is more of a of a of a of a thing that's out there in the cultural zeitgeist hopefully that is easy enough to understand his earth is called earth prime and it's supposed to be the real world uh superboy prime is a young boy that was adopted as a baby and the family that adopted him just happened to have the last name kent I forget the first names. I, I'm, I know the mom, if I'm not mistaken, was Naomi Kent. So it, it wasn't Jonathan and Martha Kent, okay? Now, however, this young baby that they adopted did have dark hair. And since everybody knows who Superman is, they thought it would be fun. And they did name their child Clark. And Clark Kent grew up a fan of DC Comics. However, he was picked on because of not only his, like, there was some negative brand synergy, because the kids made fun of him, because not only was he obsessed with comics, but his name was also Clark Kent, so it was like, du- you're a doubled nerd. I'm not saying that's right, I'm just saying that's the way the story's told. He did have one friend named Lori that he was kind of in love with, as, as most teenage boys are prone to be. So, their story takes place in 1985, and On a very special night in 1985, Halley's Comet was set to pass by Earth. Clark and Laurie went to a costume party that evening, and of course, Clark dressed as Superman. As Halley's Comet passed over, young Clark Kent suddenly gained the powers of fucking Superman, basically. Okay? Now, meanwhile, in the rest of the DC multiverse... Because it's 1985, the ultra-famous Crisis on Infinite Earths storyline was happening. This is a massive, massive comic storyline in all of comic books, okay? That was designed for one purpose. To make it so DC didn't have a multiverse. They only had one Earth where all the superheroes lived together, Okay? That was the entire point of the story. It ran like 12 issues, it's really good, etc., etc. Now, Superman, from the DC Comics world, accidentally travels to Earth Prime, because all the the universes are kind of colliding, and he recruits Superboy Prime to come join the fight. Of course he does, and Earth Prime is later destroyed. Now, fast forward to the very end of this Crisis on Infinite Earth storyline. The good guys win! Yay! And all of the Earths are forming into one version of Earth where everyone exists and has like a shared history. But because of that, there could only be like one Superman. And the Superman. From the 1930s, the original Superman and his wife, Lois Lane, are sort of watching the Earths all sort of merge into one, and they're about to die, basically. They're about to be sort of erased. Because, after all, the Superman that exists is going to be a Superman from the 80s, not the 30s. Uh, (laughs) There's a character named Alexander Luther, who's from Earth-3. That's an Earth where the good guys are bad guys, and the bad guys are good guys. That's why this Luther is a good guy. And Superboy Prime is there as well. Alexander Luther is like, well, guys, I've got crazy comic book powers, and I can create a tiny little pocket dimension where the four of us can live outside of time and reality and just... We won't be dead, at least we'll be alive, and we'll have each other. Now, I think this was done as a nice way to say that the Superman from the 30s is still out there because it's such an important character, Uh, but they also have Superboy Prime stick around as a way of saying that, hey, all you comic book readers, you're still out there too. Fast forward to 2005, and a second crisis happens. The four survivors are actually the bad guys this go-around. Well, give or take. Again, I'm oversimplifying. Because they're sick of seeing the DC comic book world becoming so jaded, violent, and emo, basically. And Superboy Prime bursts out of that pocket dimension and goes buck wild on the fucking galaxy. Flying through planets, destroying them whole killing members of the Teen Titans, and also whining like a diva with a skin knee because this kid is permanently 15 years old with the powers of goddamn Superman. And of course, he wants things to go back to the way they were because it used to be better. Ladies and gentlemen, the comics writers at DC Comics turned Superboy Prime into an allegory or a stand-in for comic book fans as fans of anything really often complain about newest versions newest chapters newest movies newest shows because the other one just used to be better and oftentimes they can't really explain why it used to be better it just was better I don't know just the originals were better just make it the way that it was just do the same thing over and over again it's fucking genius and I love it. It's always made Superboy Prime stand out to me as a character that's insanely interesting. And seeing a crazy version of Superman or Superboy on the big screen would just be amazing to me. Now, I spent a lot of time trying to explain where Superboy Prime, like what Superboy Prime is. So I don't don't really know how much more I can give without, you know, boring you. But... You know, we've seen, like, uh, there's that movie Brightburn, which tries to do like a kid that has Superman's powers that's evil. Uh, It just pops into my head when I think about Superboy Prime. I mean, I legitimately want an evil, I want him wearing the Superman crest and everything. Oh, that's another awesome thing, is that eventually when Superboy Prime gets captured, uh, they put him in a prison that's near a red sun and Superboy Prime carves the fucking Superman symbol into his chest so he always has it and of course he's under a red sun so it's a permanent cut and then when he gets into a yellow sun it scars over and heals so he has the fucking Superman crest scarred into his body for life like a giant scar tattoo it's pretty awesome i i, I don't know it's it's a unique character it's a really out there character it's a deep it's deep even for comics fans okay But I think you could find the right way to sort of simplify the story and origin and put it up there on the big screen as a big Thanos-level threat. And I'm here for it. Number two. Ladies and gentlemen, the Zach Morris of superheroes himself, Booster Gold. Booster Gold, probably better known, at least to the people of the DC Comics world, uh, as Michael John Carter. He lives in the future, I think like twenty-five, sixty something Now, the reason I say people in the future know him better as Michael John Carter is because Booster was a standout college football quarterback star that ended up getting kicked out of football for gambling on his own games. I think he even, Booster, at one point in narration, is like, eh, I pulled the old Pete Rose. (laughs) How about it? Now, Booster's life went to shit after this. And he had to take a job as a low-level security guard at a superhero museum. One night, he was the only person on guard duty. And he broke into the superhero's wing and stole a tiny floating security droid and reprogrammed him to basically follow his every word. He then stole a Legion of Superheroes flight ring. We talked about those flight rings earlier, and I promised it would come back. So this makes Michael John Carter, or just, we'll just call him Booster Gold, it gives him the ability to fly. He also stole some wrist blasters and a force field belt from that belonged to Brainiac 5. I'm not going to bother explaining that. So he can fly. He can shoot blaster lasers. He can make himself a force field, so he's invulnerable, sort of. And he took a time machine, and boom! He travels back to the mid-80s, right in the age of superheroes, right after this crisis on Infinite Earths we talked about. And he's got our little tiny flying robot that can tell him everything he needs to know about history. And using that knowledge, he becomes a superhero so he can get corporate endorsements. Booster Gold is the ultimate poster child for 80s greed. He only reason the only reason he's a superhero is so he can also get a job advertising like cars, sodas, clothes. He wants to guest star on TV shows. He wants to be famous. And and like I said, he's sort of a stand-in for 80s corporate greed and what have you. But You know, later on in in the character's life, as comics would evolve, you know, you started to understand that Booster's not a bad guy, but in his own timeline, he got so close. He got so close to being like, I don't know, Tom Brady or fucking Joe, what's his name, the place for the Bengals, Joe Burrow. You know, like the fucking quarterback, the star of the NFL. You know, he got so close. And then, of course, he fucked it all up. So he just wants some version of that. okay? Now, uh, legendary comics writer Jeff Johns, name keeps popping up, uh, got a hold of Booster uh, in, during the comics event series called 52, and Booster's entire sort of character mantra got transformed overnight. He became the greatest superhero you've never heard of. Now, what does that mean? It means that he continues to act like a bumbling buffoon around Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and all that. But secretly, he works for the Time Masters and makes sure that when supervillains try to travel through time to disrupt the timeline, they don't get away with it. Well, what does that really mean? Well, for example... One of his first missions was to travel back in time to the old cowboy days in the Old West and make sure that Superman's great-great-great-grandpa on his Earth side was indeed born. That way, his Earth dad, Jonathan Kent, would be born one day to guide Clark Kent to become Superman. He also teams up with Jonah Hex, who's one of those DC characters that existed in the Old West. Now, I use that as an example to show you that Booster Gold is literally designed to tie into the DC- to any sort of film universe, period. Remember that Avengers Endgame, the second act where they did all the time heists? I mean, that's Booster Gold's entire shtick. He could travel to, you know, hang out with Clark Kent as a teenager. So you've got Booster Gold hanging out with Superman, but you don't have to worry about getting Henry Cavill back to play Superman. You just need a kid. You know, what if he's there and he has to make sure that Thomas and Martha Wayne die, you know, like something crazy? What if he's got to punch the Flash so the Flash doesn't time travel on accident? I mean, this character is designed to be a part of a cinematic universe. It's fucking perfect. And, you know, uh, would boosters written well, too... I'm looking at you again, Jeff Johns. Boosters and uh, Skeets, his droid companion. They're hilarious. Skeets is a smart one. Booster is the idiot. It's just, I don't know. it, it You have the ability to do serious shit and take it seriously, but then you sort of have, like, basically a, an MCU-type character that's funny. Lead into it, DC. Make the Booster Gold movie happen. But, folks, we've come to the final item on the list number one robin the boy wonder what oh i'm very serious now some of you might be saying well johnny what the fuck we've already had robin did you see batman forever and batman and robin no 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 that wasn't robin i want a child Somebody isolate that sentence and, uh, you know, make me get in trouble for it. Be like, hey, did you see that guy Johnny C? Did you hear what he said? I want a child. That guy's a creep. You hear what he said? I want a child. I want Batman to recruit a goddamn child soldier into his insane war on crime, and I want Batman to train this child mercilessly. I want poor Richard Grayson to go from being an orphan to, to wishing he was dead. Basically, I want the relationship between Batman and Robin that was portrayed very famously in Frank Miller's all-star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder comic series. Now, for all you uh, non-comics fans out there, don't worry, I'll explain. That was a comic series that was maligned by fans for the portrayal of Batman as a heartless monster. Asshole! Piece of shit! That proudly proclaim to anyone with an earshot that I'm the goddamn Batman. But, unlike the comic, I want Robin the Boy Wonder to change the Batman. Which means you've got to portray him that way in the beginning in order to get the character arc. Because Robin, God, Robin is such a crazy character. I mean, think about the, let's circle back. Think about when Robin was created in the, like, the early 40s. I mean, it didn't matter. Nobody took it seriously. Nobody gave a shit. It was just stupid funny books. Okay? It didn't matter at all. But the character continues to exist in modern times. And given our modern outlook on things, the true insane nature of the Robin character really comes to the forefront of any discussion about Robin. I mean, it has to. And if you're in Hollywood, you sit down and you're like, well, should we do Robin? And somebody inevitably in the room is like, are you serious? You want to do Robin? Like, that's a so you want to do Bruce Wayne adopts a kid who's like 12, 13 at the most, okay? Trains him to be a fucking child soldier. I mean, that's what you want to do. How are we going to put that on a goddamn lunchbox? Well, that's how you lean into it, movie studio execs. The the common folk look at Robin and they're like, "Ooh, that's creepy or that's just strange. Lean into it. It. You know what? It is strange. It is insane, And if you lead into it, you allow Robin, the character, to do what the Robin character is supposed to do. Robin keeps the Batman from falling over the edge. Robin is what keeps Batman on the good side of sanity, okay? Robin is his guiding light. He's his beacon of hope. He's fucking Batman's own tiny little Superman, okay? And I want to see that dynamic duo, (laughs) I want to see that dynamic play out on the big screen the way it should. You know, Batman Forever made Dick Grayson like 18. And that wasn't the type of movie that takes the source material as important as comic book movies now. So let's do it, man. Let's send a child to war on the streets of Gotham City. And of course, have that child show Bruce the error of his ways. I think the hardest part about the whole thing, honestly, isn't even selling it. Because you get the right director, you get the right scriptwriter, you get the right person in the ear of the executives to say, this is why we're going to be so crazy in the beginning, and at the end, everything will come back to normal, and it'll seem like a good father-son dynamic that makes sense, where Batman is constantly protecting Robin, but also giving Robin maybe a little bit of wiggle room to fail. You know, stuff like that. The hardest part is finding the kid that can pull this off. The kid actor that's not the kid actor that's pretentious in the wrong way, but pretentious in the good way. And it's just, I mean, good fucking luck. But it can happen. I believe that. And hey, you know, if, you're, if you want to take this whole thing seriously out there, Hollywood executives, that Robert Pattinson Batman, it seems like the type of Batman that's looking for a reason not to kill himself, okay? So maybe, just maybe, That reason could be Robin, the boy wonder. And folks, wow, that was quite a trip. I hope that it was informative without being confusing. I really, really do. But sometimes you deal with comics. That's just the way it's going to go. But I feel like we've painted an accurate picture of why the characters on the list would be a whole hell of a lot of fun. And I hope you enjoyed your time here on Top Man. And if you did, if you did like it, go that extra mile and subscribe to the Aqua Cave podcast feed. That way, you get notified whenever new content drops, new episodes of Top Man, whether it be continuing chapters in the reading Canebo saga, where we're tracking the origins of the Kane wrestling character using that goddamn awful Journey into Darkness book bright man where i cover bright ideas that i have it could be anything and check out the specials the special episodes of concrete man we've uh released recently where we're continuing to check in on vince mcmahon's mental health after the disastrous in your house great white north pay-per-view i'm johnny c and never forget that a winner is you